This is Global Gospel Conversations with co-hosts Pastor Dan Johnson of Cross Culture Church and North Carolina Baptist Senior Consultant for Asian Church Planting, Ralph Gray. Thanks for joining us as special guests from around the world share life with a global gospel perspective. Welcome, everybody. This is Pastor Dan from Cross Culture Church. Uh, we're excited uh, to have with us uh, again my co-host, co-conspirator, uh, co-food uh, eater. Uh, Hi, Dan. Evelyn. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're here with Ralph Gray, <laughs> and we're also here with Pastor Alessandro Di Leonardo. Leonardo. I hope, yeah, did, did I say that right? Did I say that right? You're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we're excited to have you here. Uh, again, I pastor Cross Culture Church in the Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina in the United States of America, and I'm here with Ralph. Ralph, go ahead and introduce yourself. All right, Dan, thank you again for having me, and of course, you know, with the great Alessandro Di Leonardo from Italy, and it's good to fellowship with you over this platform. Yes, uh, I live here in North Carolina, it's a privilege for me to work with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, partnering with them in serving our church planters, international church planters here in North Carolina. And I serve uh, for more than 10 years now. God gave me the opportunity to uh, partner with more than 30 uh, or church planters that represents more than 30 nations. And that reaches to 80 plus languages that God brought here. And it's a joy for me along the way to meet and know uh, Pastor Alessandro Di Leonardo in one of the uh, meetings and conferences. And we're glad to have him here with us. And uh, Pastor Alessandro, would you please introduce to us yourself? Tell us more about your family and your ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, of course, uh, thank you for uh, having me, guys. Uh, it, uh, it's, uh, I think, just the, the idea of uh, being able to talk with other pastors and uh, just to be able to kind of go over what God is doing in, all over the world. For me, that's super exciting. So, yeah, my name is Alessandro Di Leonardo. Just a little bit uh, quickly about myself. I'm Italian-Filipino. Uh, most people would never uh, have guessed that. I was born in the Philippines. My mom's Filipino. My dad's Italian. Uh, right after about a year old, um, my, my family moved back to Italy. So my dad's Sicilian, so he will tell you he's not Italian. He's Sicilian. Um, and uh, we lived there for about 10 years. At least uh, I was nine years old. And then my whole family migrated to, the, uh, to New Jersey in the U.S. Um, for, for work reasons. And I've been there since I was, uh, since 2019, uh, since we moved here. But a little bit about my sort of uh, coming to Christ story about why I'm here, why I'm a pastor. Uh, pretty much didn't have any relationship with Christ. I did know who he was from a religious perspective. It wasn't until all the way into college uh, where I was uh, pursuing an engineering degree. Uh, and uh, through God's uh, divine intervention, I was able to be invited to a church back in New Jersey as well as uh, a campus ministry, the combination of the two, I was able to hear the gospel, accept Christ. And so I finished my degree, but I really already felt a sense of uh, calling of going to full-time ministry. So I was thankful enough though, even though I was a new Christian, 
the church that I was serving at, uh, that, that I came to Christ in, it's called Praise Christian Church, uh, Southern Baptist Church in New Jersey, Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, they, they actually hired me. Uh, I was uh, sort of like a pastor, but didn't have that title yet. But I stayed with them uh, since 2011 as a worker until I think 2016, I became a, a pastor and then finally got ordained. And that brought me all the way to 2017. 2017, my, my brother, he uh, is a missionary in Italy, uh, in Salerno, specifically reaching out uh, Italians, uh, given that he's in Italy. We went there, me and my wife, who I met in the church, uh, we went there to visit, purposely, just with the purpose of visiting. No, Because it's no Italy, visit. right? It's Italy. Exactly. I, I, I personally have only seen Sicily. Uh, okay. Never visited anything. Um, so we went there, an opportunity to go. If you know, Salerno is really beautiful by Naples. We go there and forgot to mention my, my church in the U.S., uh, my previous church was uh, predominantly Filipino, uh, Filipino-American. And so um, the Lord has started bringing out my Filipino side um, when I was there. So when we went to Italy, we were absolutely shocked to see how many Filipinos were there. I wasn't expecting to see Filipinos. I didn't grow up with Filipinos in Italy. Uh, and so just simple questions, kind of like, are there Filipino churches here? This and that. To be honest, my brother couldn't give me an answer. He said, not that I know of. It's hard enough to reach Italians. So we did a little bit of homework with also the Lord uh, impressing upon me and my wife. And so we've decided to do a vision trip in 2018. Um, we had an intention of potentially being in Salerno only in that area, but uh, a pastor friend of ours, uh, maybe you guys know him, Pastor Jerry, also in New Jersey of uh, BCI, he mentioned that there was a group of believers, uh, Filipinos, who gathered every Sunday, but they didn't have a pastor in Cisterna de Latina, uh, which is by Rome, um, and so a lot of Filipinos reside in this little city, Cisterna de Latina, because they, they work uh, in, uh, in Rome. I always use the example of it's like working in New York City, but living somewhere off elsewhere because New York City is too expensive. So all the Filipinos live there and they go there. And so lo and behold, we went to visit it and we, me and my wife, we both felt uh, strongly called uh, to go there. And so we took a year to support raise, get ourselves ready and then move uh, to, to Italy in 2019. Uh, in that time, we had our first child, Adanasio. Uh, he is uh, two years old now. And then um, during the pandemic, we, we are one of those couples who also uh, had another child. And so we welcomed Annalisa in November of last year. She's uh, two months. Uh, so we have a two-year-old and a two-month-old. Uh, so, so it wasn't because of the pandemic you had this child. You just happened <laughs> to have the child in, during the pandemic. Is that right? Uh, the Lord only knows, you know. <laughs> you know we're, we're trying King first, uh, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Pastor Alessandro, it is such a blessing, brother, to hear your story, to hear your boldness. I mean, it's one thing to be called to 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 plant a church or to start a, a missions experience uh, in your own country, but to move across the world and do this is something I think that we can all be encouraged by. And maybe somebody that's watching, that's what God's calling them to do, right? Uh, is, is to draw them to a place that they never even thought. Now, here's the deal. Like, eventually, what we're going to, the three of us are going to have to meet in Italy, right, Ralph? We're going to yes, have to meet yeah. in Italy. I, we're going I to have wait, to, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. He's going to have to show us around for some food. That's really why we do this, is to explore food and possibilities in hopes that we get a free place to stay. 
uh, when we come to Italy. So, uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit, what does ministry look like, you know, before the pandemic? What did ministry look like? You don't have to give great details, but just kind of the, the survey view of what were you doing? Uh, what did outreach look like? What did discipleship look like? Um, were there services? You know, what, what give us a snapshot of what that looked like before the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, our, our church is predominantly Filipinos. Uh, that's who we're reaching. We're reaching the diaspora that comes here, the workers. Of course, it's not limited to that, but that's really uh, what it looks like as of now. Um, I only have six months of experience prior to pandemic. Okay. Uh, really, that's what it was. We moved in uh, 2019 of May. Um, and so until uh, the lockdown happened, which really started in March of, of 2020. Um, so what did it look like? We didn't have a place uh, to, to, to worship until I think August. We found something, uh, a place to worship. So pretty uh, basic as far as um, Sunday worship. We come together on a Sunday. The difference is, at least uh, from my experiences in New Jersey, is that Filipinos here, they come to work and they literally work from morning to sundown, Monday to Saturday. So Sunday is like the, the time to do everything, like chores, this and that. And then, so our services are a lot smaller. Uh, and, and then throughout the week, uh, we try to meet as well. We have a um, Bible study every Thursday. We were physically meeting. Um, and then personally, myself, I was meeting people for discipleship and my, my wife doing the same. So that's the, the, the gist of what uh, ministry looked like. We also have a youth uh, ministry that meets every other uh, Saturday. Is there, is there a place like where you meet those Filipinos? Uh, do, do you meet them in their house or is there like a grocery store where they go and shop or is there like a park yeah. or a community? Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, avenues that you can go about it. You definitely, you step out, you see them, <laughs> you know, they're there. Um, <laughs> it's just, they're integrated. This is, uh, you know, I, I, I lived in Bayonne in New Jersey, which is uh, by Jersey City. Jersey City is so diverse. I really feel like I'm in Jersey City. It's so diverse here. It's interesting because I didn't grow up like that when I was in Italy. Here is, you see Filipinos, you see Africans, you see uh, Hispanics. It's really interesting. Uh, so you, you meet them yeah, in the market, this and that. My personal connections are there is a, a Filipino group here that uh, I formed years ago to kind of help each other out. And I was blessed to actually have one of my church members to be a leader of that. So I was able to have a lot of connections with that. Uh, so a lot of it is just relational. There's really, uh, because I told you of the time constraint, everybody just works so much. It's really difficult to, to kind of just meet them in like us hanging out on Saturday in the park. It's just that doesn't exist. Uh, people are just so busy. Now, is that true? Help me out, guys. Is that is that a characteristic within Filipino culture, or do you think that's part of uh, being an immigrant in Italy? What What do you think plays into that work ethic where they feel like they've got to work? Is it expensive that they they've got to work to be able to make ends meet? Help us understand why do you think that is? Yeah, from my perspective, coming from New Jersey and pretty much. The, the, the years they're working with Filipinos, it's totally a different mindset. But one thing is in the U.S., they tell you Saturday is a day off as well. There are people who worked, of course, but for the most part, Saturday and Sunday is the weekend. Mm. Here, it's not. That's not the culture. Even Italians work on a, sun, on, on a Saturday. Wow. Um, a lot of people get paid by how many days they work. So also, it's kind of that idea. It's tricky to answer the question about 
is it expensive? Most people work not for themselves. They are there to support family at home. So it's always that mentality, just an extra day gives me an extra paycheck, an extra way of helping people. Or they buy, they buy a house in the Philippines with dreams to, to go back there and retire. And so they have to pay, you know, so it's a lot of things uh, about this, but it is that mentality, an extra day, I can work, uh, uh, earn a little bit more. Yeah, that's fascinating. Very different, like you say, from the States, who's more of hourly, right? Hourly yeah. worker, but there you get paid by the day. So if you work an extra day, that's a huge increase in your pay yeah. if you live life like that. So, um, you know, you, it doesn't, doesn't take much to realize Italy at one point was really a bullseye for the coronavirus. How, and it's pretty much been the majority of the time you've been there, unfortunately, right? How right. have you yeah. seen Italy be affected uh, by this virus? How much has changed? Um, you know, what, what does Italy, what has Italy had to endure? For those that are around the world watching this, what has Italy had to endure? And what have you observed? Yeah, so it, outside of China, where, you know, where at least in the news outlet, that's where it started. Um, Italy was the second one outside of China, right? That, that's where it really spread was around March. Um, I keep tabs with the U.S., given that I have family there and this and that. So I kind of know what's going on. It was total shutdown here. I mean, the first thing that affected, affected people emotionally. Um, it, it, it's interesting to say I'm young, so I've never been. I, I don't know what, you know, I don't have that many experiences under my belt, but it, I really felt like it was like a war zone uh, during the, the March area. I mean, it was just total lockdown. There was a, even a sense of fear that like, if, you know, you go out for the wrong reasons, you, you could get a ticket or you could get reprimanded or something like that by the cops. Um, you had to go outside, carry a certificate to say why you're outside. Uh, it's kind of interesting. So it was just, it was really a scary moment. So that's one of the, the emotional way it affected people. Uh, it also affected people uh, economically. Italy, I mean, the reason my family migrated out and that was when I was nine years old was because Italy went into a depression or at least the economic depression. It, it never fully out of all of Europe it never fully went up. It, it was getting there. And then with this um, virus, Italy, I think a uh, majority of income comes from tourism and having all these borders closed. I mean, to this day, uh, everything's still closed. I mean, you could, you know, U.S. is still not allowed. Uh, Canada, the major uh, groups, China, are still not allowed to come to Italy uh, to, to this day. And so a lot of our workers, so the typical jobs that our Filipinos have is they work for uh, individuals and they're, they, they clean their houses or they... That we call them badanta. They're pretty much um, uh, babysitters like that, taking care of people. The second major job is working for hotels or restaurants, and all of those are shut down. So a lot of people I know have just lost jobs. And so economically has really affected people. And then I, I would say the last one is we're just like Filipinos, we're very relational, Italians are. And, you know, to the point that in Christmas, uh, we were only allowed to invite two people. Um, and, and so, you know, that was an exception. Before, no one was allowed to come to your house, not even family members doing when the lockdown from March to, to July. Nobody was allowed to come to your house. It just wasn't allowed. Only people who lived there. And so we didn't see faces at all. So during that time, did you, 
within your church and you know the church was only six months old <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. probably half of that time is trying to reorient yourself that now you're living in Italy right yeah. um, so did you get resistance and pushback from people within your church saying this is overdue this is ridiculous we're not going to listen to this let's continue to march forward and ignore these regulations and rules did you get any sort of feedback from or kickback from that no luckily i didn't um you know it's so interesting by saying six months it sounds so short but it, we really bonded uh fairly quickly um, that when the shutdown happened, people just uh, understood. Uh, they, I mean, obviously the government shut us down, but there was no pushback. Um, people were understanding. Um, it, it, there was just, it was really incredible. People were, uh, at least in, in our congregation, people were understood that this was a serious thing. And so we didn't have any, any sort of uh, setback in that area. Uh, Pastor, uh, what do you think is the difference between uh, Italy uh, you know, the culture in Italy and also the culture in the U.S. in terms of its response to, um, you know, government's um, mandate as far as uh, uh, protocols, you know, to protect one another, wear masks, uh, wear gloves or, you know, all this. It, it seems like, the, as you describe it, you know, people in Italy were easy to obey what the government uh, has mandated. But it seems here, you also know uh, in America, because you, as you said, you know, you're updated. It seems like people here are divided. You know, they have their own opinion and they fought, you know, they, they do what they think was right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, as we were going through this in Italy, I already was saying once this hits U.S., it's going to be different. There's no way you could tell people you, could, you have to stay home. It's just you can't, you know. Uh, and so I already knew that. You know, it's interesting because Italians are not necessarily, you know, like I'm going to follow the rules. And you saw a lot of people breaking the rules. But overall, there is sort of this idea that you better listen or else you're in trouble. So, yes, you could, you could have like sort of that oddball as opposed to, you know, we had very small, small groups of people who went against the whole idea of wearing a mask. Very small. Suppose in the U.S., there was, you know, there's still large groups who don't want to want to do that. So you just don't have as great as momentum um, happening uh, in Italy. Um, also, Italy is uh, uh, one of the reasons that Italy was affected really bad, at least they think, is because population-wise, the demographics, uh, the age group, people are old uh, here, are older, um, and so you know, these are the kind of people that were mostly affected. A lot of the older people died, and so. Uh, they just uh, people seeing that maybe they they said hey, this is something worth listening to. So that's so interesting. So you described Italy as having more of an older population. I've yes. never, you know, again coming from the states, you, uh, one of the beautiful things about what we're doing here is we're exposing ourselves to culture uh, around the globe that we'd never get an opportunity to, to do. And you even said we can't even do right now. Not even me and Ralph can get can sneak ourselves in, and that's quite disappointing, given all the <laughs> wonderful food that awaits us in Italy. Um, but that's so interesting that the population is older. So, uh, is are you seeing an influx into younger people moving into the country? Because you know, as the population grows older, there's going to be more and more opportunities for younger generation to fill some of those um, 
workloads and, and that sort of thing as they get older. What I know that's not a typical question a pastor answers, but uh, what do you see happening sociologically, you know, in the country over the next 25 years? Yeah. So again, this is from my limited understanding. <laughs> right. You're not uh, speaking for all Italians, right? <laughs> even this is an Italian, I was asking that question. We do see a lot of... Um, so for one thing is jobs are very limited. I have cousins who graduated from college, I, were from Sicily, who had to go all the way up north to find a job just because there's really no jobs that further south to go. They're just, uh, we're by Rome, so it's like really the center. And so starting up is where you start seeing jobs. So even that, you just don't see people, you know, taking on jobs, uh, like this idea of uh, more people moving into the city. I did read that because of the pandemic and the fact that now Italy is more uh, receptive to the idea of online work, people started moving out back into the country where before it was, you know, you had to work into the city. We did see that. One cool thing I did see uh, growing up here, coming back and visiting is the, it, the jobs are so scarce that uh, kids uh, have to work for their parents or with their parents. So you see this apprenticeship happening, which you I rarely saw in the U.S. You know, uh, you're doing what following your dreams, not my dad's dream, not my mom's dream. Here it's kind of like, hey, I'm glad I have a job. My dad did this, my grandfather did this. I have to do it. I can't find anything else. You do see this kind of cool apprenticeship. Um, who knows what's going to happen here in Italy? In Italy, there is a uh, population deficit as far as Italians. I mean, we're just not populating. And that, that's a huge problem in a lot of Europe. Uh, I don't know which, exactly which countries, uh, but Italy is one of them, where we're just not making enough babies. I mean, people are not getting married, and uh, Italians are just not making enough. If ever, they make one shot. Wow. Well, you're doing your part. You've got yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're doing and, your part. <laughs> and we thank you for doing your part and, <laughs> and for spreading our genes there. Thank you. Especially to your wife, who had to yeah. endure, you know, much pain to continue that population yeah. uh, spread. So how has the church shifted, um, you know, it, from in-person uh, discipleship, you you doing a lot of that one-on-one -on -one discipleship, you know, so now you can't uh, in person. How has the church shifted in in such a young infancy? It's kind of had to take on a new form. What does that look like now? Yeah, so uh, currently we're doing online services. We did have a small gap where we were able to go back to our place of worship. Uh, it was um, August to October, and that's where the uh, spike came back up. And so we felt we needed – our place was really small. Uh, we could fit about 30 people, but, I mean, you really had to squeeze them in. Yeah. Um, we no longer have a place of worship. We let it go. It was just money, out, you know. Uh, it's just we were paying for something we weren't using. Wow. Um, and so we decided to let it go. So as of now, we don't have a place of worship. So we're doing everything online. Uh, we do everything online. I mean, except for that August to, to October where we could meet, everything still stayed online. Now it's a, a, a little bit more laid back than it was when the lockdown. Italy is really avoiding a lockdown because it really destroyed people, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so now I could still see people. I go out more often. Uh, I could try to do ministry here and there. I'm allowed to have two people a day in my house. I could go visit people. So that, that's what it looks like. But everything is online from the youth ministry to, to uh, our services. 
I would say, of course, those are not happy things. We, we love meeting physically. Uh, I would say, though, that one thing that I, I would have never done prior to the pandemic but was forced to do, which I probably will continue after the pandemic, is discipleship online. I mean, that works perfectly. People, they can't say they don't have time. I mean, give me just an hour. And I don't care when. Just give it to me and we'll meet. And so uh, uh, prior to my daughter being born, I was just discipling all over, everyone in my church and just People just had the time. People made the time because it was all online. It wasn't like we have to meet, we have to find a location, this and that. It was so the, the online aspect is really great as far as discipleship. What, what do you think are the changes in you know the ways and mindset of people as a result of COVID in terms of looking at church life and ministry? So like, like for example, before COVID, um, so I would probably be speaking in the context of America. We are so Sunday-centric. You know, everything, like, revolves on Sunday. You know, like, that's the highlight. That's ministry. And then and anything that happens Monday to Saturday, those are lesser ministries. You know, that, that's not the highlight. Sunday is the highlight. The preaching of the pastor is the highlight. You know, the worship band is the highlight. And anything happens outside that are uh, secondary and but now with this COVID and you know through virtual technology it seems like um, the day is changing because ministry happens anytime any day and uh, also with anybody and not just in the context of where you are located it expanded it crossed uh, continents you know it becomes yeah. global uh, so how does that um, change the mindset of the people that you are ministering in terms of uh, looking at fulfilling the Great Commission? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, at least from, from the idea of, um, it's, it's so hard to, to kind of looking at it because Sunday is still the, the center in the sense that that's when their day is off. And so they know that's when we're going to meet. Uh, if I do meet people, we do meet every Thursday at night. And that was happening before. So as far as scheduling, still things still look the same. I don't think necessarily that people are, at least in, in my context, in my church, I don't think people are connecting with other churches to see, you know, their services, oh, there's a conference. I, I just don't see that happening. I don't, at least no one's telling me like, oh, I was able to, to hear this message, this and that, you know, as opposed to, I, I know I'm doing that. From a personal level, I'm, I'm you know, putting my foot wherever I can, if I, if I can, uh, because it's just unbelievable what you could do. Uh, but I don't see my church doing that. So as far as the, that aspect, I, I don't see a change. Uh, I, I, I tried and am trying to bring that global aspect to our services. So one of the great things we were able to do is we did a joint service twice uh, or maybe three times with a church in the U.S. Uh, you know, so that's awesome, right? Um, and wow. so wow. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, so, so let, me, let me pause you there. What did that look like? That, so you worked with a church that's in the U.S. and you did a joint service well, you're in Italy. What? How did that happen? What did that look like? Yeah. So, uh, given that I'm in New Jersey, uh, or I was in New Jersey, that's the sort of 
almost everybody I know is New Jersey or Pennsylvania. That's a six hour difference. So it's not a huge gap. Right now we're a six hour difference. Um, so we were, we used to have services at 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, and so that worked perfectly because their service is at 10.30. And so we just had to coordinate. Uh, I'm in contact with uh, a lot of pastors uh, in the US just for, for uh, friendship purposes. And so I, one of the pastors suggested, hey, why don't we do one? And once I did one, I asked another one. And so that, that's how it ended up happening. So did, did one lead worship, another teach? Like, what was the format yeah. of that, that global? So I love the idea. I absolutely love it. And I'd love to even incorporate that across culture. What was the, what was the, what was the format? What did it, what was the experience like? Yeah. So it depends on the church. So um, we did it with only two churches. I think one church, we did it twice. One church is a small church, uh, a little bit bigger than ours. With that one, we were able to completely divide uh, sort of roles where I preached, uh, he had someone give a testimony. We really went down, me and him met twice, I think, online to be able to really say, okay, who's doing what, this and that, how, how can we, this is how I do my service. That was a pretty cool experience. With the, with the bigger church, it was more kind of like, you know, we just raised our hands. We're here. You know, we're still part of it. Uh, they showed a, we, we presented a video so they were able to see it, but it was as if we were the participants. Uh, that idea. It was just that their church is, is so large that um, a lot of their members are participants as well. And so we were just additional to, to, to that. So depending on the church, with the larger one participant, with the other one, it was really half and half. Did, did you guys use Zoom? Is that how yeah. you communicated? So it was through yeah. Zoom. Yeah, and uh, um, something I forgot to mention, we do our services in English. Um, I, I know Italian, um, but I don't know Tagalog. I am trying to learn. Uh, it's just, uh, that's the Filipino language. Uh, recently since, um, well, not that recently, but probably since October or September, I started doing something uh, different where I actually preach in Italian followed by English, where I translate myself, you know, and so, doing it that way, because we do have um, sort of, we really are working with three languages and unfortunately I don't know Tagalog. So there's people who understand Tagalog better, but they know English, uh, very little Italian. Then there's the younger people who only know Italian, they could understand English a little bit. So I was losing some of the younger people. And so I said, let me do it in Italian, followed by English. So I'm at least able to, to I, I think with that net, I'm able to grab everybody. Um, and so that's how we're doing it. It's, it sounds like, uh, we need to be praying for God to raise up somebody that, uh, that is Filipino, that knows the language that could come alongside of you. And, uh, what an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Ralph is, Ralph speaks the language somewhat well, right? Ralph, you're, you're, you're you have some experience. Grazie. Grazie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Italy, Italy is our favorite, right? It's one of our favorite uh, countries to visit. And of course, Rome and of course, many other places we haven't been there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. But I, I'm just curious, like, uh, in the context of disciple making and evangelism. Um, so before COVID, uh, a Sunday centric or us not necessarily, you know, the Sunday day, but the, the worship service centric uh, church uh, invites people to their worship service and just kind of introduce them to what their church is all about. 
and then they uh, accidentally would hear the gospel if the preacher would you know share the gospel or you know if there's a group of friends there that they would be able to get connected um, now in the context of this pandemic uh, being virtual disciple making and equipping christians that uh, god has brought into your life uh, how does it look like now in terms of these christians evangelizing and also discipling uh, their friends um how is that uh how does that look like yeah no again another great question so we were here for six months prior to the pandemic and of course any missionary you come with a mindset this is what we're going to do so really when we we the pandemic hit it, it kind of became like would this have looked like this if the pandemic didn't hit you don't know because i was still at least for my part i was still trying to figure things out before the pandemic <laughs> uh, so how we're doing things, uh, we, you know, everything's different here where uh, uh, places are smaller. So the idea of like saying, I'm going to invite 300 people, it just doesn't work like that. So a lot of it is just, hey, someone's having a birthday party. Let's go there. Let's go there. Of course, now those things are not allowed. So a lot of it is honestly just we, we focused on 2020. A lot of it was focusing within the church, which was great because we're a started up church. So we, we started really saying, okay, we want to make sure that every single member gets discipled. And in a way, we got, we, we, we got to that. Uh, we had four people come to Christ in 2020, which is unbelievable. Uh, you know, and it was all just through relational, like, uh, you know, we were focusing on the people uh, within the church and then hearing uh, the people that were kind of attending, they started to attend maybe because they had more time and eventually through discipleship uh, came to Christ. So we haven't done any major outreach because of the, the difficult uh, of, of just being able to be with people. The only biggest outreach we did was before the um, before the uh, lockdown, which is, it's really a year from now, uh, a year ago was uh, Valentine's Day. We invited all the youth. We had a big party with evangelistic uh, message. That was great. And then uh, in August, when kind of the lockdown disappeared, everybody was going to the beach. We had a big event. And that was also sort of like an evangelistic outreach. Apart from that, it's been, who do you know? Somebody needs help. For example, just uh, a month ago, we knew a Filipino family who got contracted with the COVID uh, we got we got on it right away. We bought them groceries, this and that. I mean, now they know that we exist. Like, oh, you know, uh, the church. There's a church there, a Filipino church, and then another group as well. So it's really just trying to to be the hands and feet of Christ whenever we can. I think you well, said something amazing. very. I think you said something in passing that I just want to revisit quickly here. Um, you talked about four people came to Christ in 2020. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, that is, that is something to celebrate. That is a huge win. Obviously, you plant, you may even have planted and watered, but it was ultimately God who brought that increase, but we celebrate that. But you mentioned that it happened through discipleship, that you were meeting with them already and engaging with them. It wasn't like they heard this sermon and all of a sudden they came up, Pastor Alessandro, you're an amazing teacher. We want to come to faith, right? Uh, you were already trying to disciple them. And in that discipleship, they came to faith. So even before yeah. they came to faith, you were discipling them. 
which I've always said is a is a huge deal because the prosperity gospel is discipling people even before they come to faith because you already have this understanding that God's going to meet your every need and give you all these amazing things. So just share with us, you know, that strategy of discipling. And sometimes I'm sure you're discipling people. You don't know where they are until you get into a discipleship relationship. What did that look like? Where did that come about? I see that as something, Ralph, that can also be uh, adapted here in the States. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm believer that your discipleship is teaching. Um, and I guess if you're being theological about it, like at what point do you become a disciple? The moment that you accept Christ, we're doing the action of discipling, whether that person is a believer or not. Um, and so we're making disciples. But of course, until that person accepts Christ, then they're an actual disciple of Christ. But so we're doing the action of discipleship. So yeah, I encourage people to to disciple people prior to their, you know, that's really discipleship to it's our strategic evangelism action. And all of them came to Christ through discipleship. Nobody came to Christ through a message during a Sunday service. All of them through there. Uh, each, you know, I don't assign people who disciples who. Uh, I encourage people. Uh, but uh, certainly it's, it's, it's beautiful to see this idea that, that, oh, if I know you're not a believer, I'm going to just teach you what I know, uh, not just necessarily gospel sharing, but the life of a Christian, because all of that ties in and eventually the person realizes, oh, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, one, one lady specifically who was attending our church, I just never had the chance to really sit down with her. And she just was always attending the church. And it came to the point that we were going to baptize people because the lockdown was over. And so I said, of course, I'm not going to baptize you until I sit down with you, this and that. And I spent about, I wasn't planning to, I spent about three hours with her explaining the gospel and she accepted Christ that day because she clearly did not know the gospel, clearly. Uh, but afterwards she knew it. And then the next day I messaged her through a couple of questions just to make sure she got it and she did. Uh, and so it was pretty awesome. So that's just like uh, one of the stories. Because in an effort to get more, you know, chinks on her armor or numbers, especially doing what you're doing, to be able to report back to the to to maybe some some uh, givers and all that for your ministry, it looks good to produce numbers, right? And say, look at all these people that are coming to faith. But if it's not genuine, right? If they don't if they don't have an understanding. He says, no man builds a builds something and doesn't count the cost and understand what it's going to take. That's what we should all do before we come and follow after Jesus. Do you use a curriculum, or is it really person by person based? Uh, so. I would love to be that kind of person who is curriculum-minded, had all these, this is who I want to be. It's not <laughs> what God made me to be. <laughs> so I, I only operate to the degree God has made me. So ideally, I would love to have, like, this is the book we use, this and that. But it's been, it's been um, uh, really uh, based on where people are at. For the most part, everyone I've discipled copies everything I someone taught it to me they they teach the same thing and so it's sort of that thing but we're not necessarily I I, I took what I thought was the greatest and here this and that and then sort of that's the curriculum but really there I don't have one I, I do think the curriculum could be useful and I'm thinking of eventually going with something to be sure. more um, organized but as of now no Right, right. Well, that's incredible. Now, with, yeah, that's very interesting. Like, for example, 
Um, you know, we've heard a lot of gospel presentation, Evangelical, uh, Four Spiritual Laws, The Bridge, uh, Three Circles, all that. Um, ha have you used those two in terms of, you know, just, just equipping them, but, you know, in their context, they can use um, anything that works uh, as they sense what the Holy Spirit wants them, you know, to speak at that time. Uh, are those also tools that uh, you have used before or... Yes, yeah, so uh, where the school I went to uh, in Stevens Institute of Technology in New Jersey, uh, my mentor, there wasn't a navigators group. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the navigators. Yes. They're all about discipleship. I think maybe that's why uh, that's kind of hardwired to me. It wasn't a navigators group, but that's how uh, he was trained with the navigators. So we did use the, the bridge illustration and then there's the Romans road. So I teach that, but I'm also... I'm not that kind of person who's like, you gotta, this is how they accept Christ. I've always been like, whatever works, Jesus used so many different uh, ideas and ways of doing things. But I definitely introduce that to some people. This is the one I, I want to use this. I feel comfortable. Uh, I introduce uh, everything I've been introduced to, unless I really think it's, it's bad. <laughs> uh, so I, I've introduced Romans Road, the, the, uh, the bridge to life and then different aspects of that, whether they, they use that or this and that, it's not something I push people, this is what we have to use. But yeah, I've talked to, to at least to, to the ones I've discipled, I've taught those things. So, so maybe, maybe Ralph, this is such a bad experience. He's not going to use this experience. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. we'll just be watching your social media uh, to see. Uh, look, a couple more questions and then you're off the hot seat, brother. How have you grown? I mean, you've had to grow a lot as a leader. One, you, six months in and a pandemic hit, nobody could have prepared you for that. So uh, how have you grown as a leader just over through the pandemic before throughout this whole experience? Yeah, first I'll have to say that I am glad that I had six months. I've heard stories just listening through the internet of people who the day they started to be a pastor is the day the pandemic hit, at least in their context. So I had six months. I can't complain. And those six months, a lot happened. It's just unbelievable. It was six months. Uh, so I'm not complaining with those six months. Absolutely um, uh, have grown. I mean, I think there's two things you can do through a pandemic, either not grow or grow, right? Uh, and so I'm thankful that this is really... Uh, you know, I, I saw it as an opportunity to grow and not not just me, just talking to other pastors, encouraging one another. Specifics, uh, I think just realizing that this is a difficult time. Uh, and so learn to put away everything you had envisioned you were going to do and work with what you have. Uh, one of the things I, I put a lot of my time, which is super unspiritual but needed, is learning Tagalog, which is so draining. Uh, and then also Italian. I was telling uh, Pastor Ralph before that I grew up here. My Italian is as good as I left when I left here when this was uh, nine years old. I've improved a little bit, but I still have a lot to learn. Uh, and so those are draining. So uh, definitely learning that I came here to, yes, be the pastor to provide spiritual uh, insight, but at the same time also uh, came here to be a whole person. And so I need to kind of be there for my wife, be there for my kids. And, and that these are the things that are going to allow me to stay here for the long run, as opposed to like, I gotta make sure I get those numbers in. I gotta make sure. So 
learning to, you're in the right place. This is not the norm. Just relax, work with this. Wow. What, uh, that's so encouraging to hear. I think we can all gather uh, Alessandro from that to just focus. There is no book on how to deal with this, on how to endure it. We've got to look for those doors that are opening in our lives and, and pursue them, right? And use this as a time for growth. What advice would you give for leaders all over the globe that are, that are maybe watching this? Uh, what advice would you give us uh, during this time as we're trying to lead our, you know, congregations or ministries or, or just simply share our faith and disciple people? Yes. So uh, from what I've learned, it's exactly the advice I would give uh, to put into words. It would be, uh, don't try to translate what you were doing before into, you know, now sort of like, okay, uh, this is how many hours uh, I was meeting people. Now I'm going to uh, do that, but it's going to be all in Zoom. Uh, it just, it's a different thing. Just the way, same way I came here to, to, from US to Italy, I'm talking to a person, but now I'm talking in a different language. So my brain is working differently. I'm more tired as opposed to having a conversation in the US. Uh, the same thing with this. We, we have, you know, there's not enough studies to know how uh, draining it is to meet online, this and that, to be 24 seven. I was reading some of these things connected that's where we are so kind of realize that this is a, a difficult time so don't try to do everything you're doing before this is you know no one's asking for you to to produce uh you know crazy things in fact you might see a decline in church numbers this and that and that's okay that's it's happening to all of us you're not alone just uh see what you can be in control god has given you uh, uh, something to be in control of uh and work with that like in my case I'm in control of learning this language, put it into use, try to do your best. Um, and then of course the people that I have as much as I can be there for them. So definitely be content with where you're at. You're not alone. Wow. 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 That's a powerful word. Uh, content, be yourself and, you know, be who you are as God shaped you, made you to be in this context. So it seems for me, the, the message to take away of God is, um, you know, know, know God in this context mm -hmm. and know him more. And, and that's, I think, uh, in the exhortation of the Apostle Paul that we need to continue to increase in our knowledge of God, uh, not just in mind, but in experience in this situation where we are in, then uh, at the same time, uh, be learning how to obey him in this situation. Uh, just, you know, acknowledging, I don't know what to do in this situation, but God, you know what to do. And please lead me and guide me and make me obedient, uh, sensitive, discerning to your leadership. Amen. Thanks so much, man, for sharing that. Yeah, this is, this is incredible, Alessandro. You are a, uh, an encouragement, brother, and there may be some watching this that are ready to step out in faith and even during a, a pandemic and, and see the nations represented. Would you mind praying uh, for leaders and people all around the globe? But I wanna ask you to do something. This is my one favor as you pray, all right? Uh, I don't know, maybe Ralph knows Italian, I do not. But I specifically, if you don't mind, uh, would ask you to pray in Italian uh, all over the globe, but especially for your Italian co-laborers that are in that country that are laboring with you, reaching maybe different people, different contexts, 
better they are in doing this together. Could you do that for us? Absolutely. I mean, uh, if, if they laugh at my Italian, uh, that's, on them. <laughs> hey, that's on them. Let me tell you, me and Ralph will not laugh at your Italian, but most importantly, God speaks Italian too. So yeah. uh, even Italian, he speaks broken English. That's what I speak. So uh, absolutely. But if you wouldn't mind praying for us, we're going to be in agreement with you together, brother. Amen. Uh, Dio ti, ti ringrazio per questo uh, questo incontro che abbiamo avuto con Pastore Ralph e uh, Pastore uh, Dan. Uh, abbiamo parlato di cose che sta succedendo qua in Italia. La verità è che io sono appena venuto qua, allora non, non so uh, tutto ciò che sta succedendo, però tu, tu sì, tu sì che, che lo sai, sai tutto che sta succedendo qua. And sai la difficoltà che sta, stiamo incontrando ogni giorno, non solo per quelli pastori qua in Italia, ma tutti nel mondo. È un, una brutta cosa vedere persone morire, persone nella nostra chiesa. Uh, non possiamo più incontrarci, alcuni abbiamo dovuto chiudere la chiesa. È un, un tempo difficilissimo, però come ha detto Pasteden, eh, non c'è un libro scritto di che cosa dobbiamo fare, però possiamo dire la verità è che c'è la Bibbia. La Bibbia ci, ci dice che dobbiamo ascoltare a te, ci dice che dobbiamo avere fiducia in te, ci dice che dobbiamo essere contenti um, de- con te, perché tu sei con noi. E allora, come ho detto io, uh, questo consiglio per tutti, uh, preghiamo che noi tutti dove siamo ci uh, uh, cap- capiamo che la cosa più importante è quello che tu ci hai detto di fare. Non possiamo fare tutto, non possiamo essere... Dio, perché c'è già un Dio, sei tu. Allora facciamo quello che tu ci hai detto di fare, lo facciamo con gioia. Io uh, continuo a pregare per Pastor Dan e Pastor Ralph uh, per le cose che stanno facendo, uh, uh, specialmente per questo uh, uh, tipo di video per incoraggiare altri pastori nel mondo, che tu lo usi per la tua uh, gloria. E preghiamo queste cose nel nome di Gesù. Amen. 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 All right, guys, next time on Global Gospel Conversation. God bless.